What's going on guys? It is Thursday, May 14th. Sorry for posting a day late. I went live on YouTube and was trying to download it and it wasn't downloading yesterday, so posting it today. I'm still working on some scheduling issues with some guests at the moment, but they will be on soon. So this week I'm talking about Bitcoin in China and the halving, what has happened leading up to it, and what has happened afterwards. Anyways, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn about blockchain and what is happening with Bitcoin in China. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. All right, I think we are alive again. It's another beautiful day in Medellin, Colombia. Um, actually kind of like doing these lives. I think I'm going to do more of these in the future as well. Um, I will definitely be having some cool guests on, I promise. Um, I have one coming on next week, uh, an author that I think you guys will like. Um, but in the meantime, uh, it's it's now it's difficult with the whole COVID thing, the quarantine, the pandemic, being able to schedule these people out and get them on the podcast sometimes. But no, I got that worked out right now. Uh, Don't worry, it'll be more guests on coming soon. Um, But what I wanted to kind of talk about today briefly, at least, is, you know, how China is treating this whole thing. um, And with what's going on with uh, Bitcoin with the having, and looking at like, compared to like what other countries and other places are doing in the world and treating Bitcoin and blockchain right now in these interesting times, um, China is really moving ahead and innovating in a very interesting way. And I think that's worth highlighting and talking about since China has essentially been uh, very opposed to allowing crypto, to allowing blockchain in their economy. Yet from the tech side of it, they've been innovating Um, within the banking side of it, from the courts uh, perspective, they've been pushing the the barrier to entry and the limits on, you know, how Bitcoin is classified, how blockchain is classified, how they look at it. So I want to dive into that and kind of explain some of the things that are going on, because I think they'll be very important in terms of uh, Bitcoin's adoption and since China has the second biggest economy in the world and it's competing with the U.S. consistently, it's important for China to be a huge proponent. And I think under the table, a lot of the citizens have been huge proponents for Bitcoin for a while. Um, But with some of the things that are starting to happen, it's looking like China might even beat the U.S. to the punch when it comes to adopting Bitcoin or just crypto generally and more widely. Um, So one of the most recent things that I noticed was a Chinese court ruling on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so there was a lit- litigation case that lasted for, it's been lasting for quite a while where someone had stolen a bunch of crypto, uh, namely Bitcoin. And they were arguing to the court in China that Bitcoin was not recognized under Chinese law. And because it was not recognized under Chinese law, they could not, uh, rule on Bitcoin and say that what they were doing, what they had was you know, illegal, that holding it was illegal, um, the purchase or sell, selling of it was illegal. Um, but the court actually kind of fought back and said that 
they see Bitcoin as a digital asset that's protected under Chinese law. Um, so that is setting a precedent uh, showing that Bitcoin is protected under Chinese law to a degree, and they do see it as an asset, um, which is very, very interesting. And Chinese law at this point, because of the courts and because of the decisions they've made, especially in this case, um, they do not prohibit citizens from holding Bitcoin. So while there might be restrictions on a Chinese citizen being able to go out and buy Bitcoin or buy different crypto and invest in it or have the ability to sell it, they're not going to punish you for holding it. Um, so if you received Bitcoin or you um, were the recipient of Bitcoin or for whatever reason, they're not going to punish you for that, um, which is in some ways telling for their kind of economy and the way they run things and the fact that they're very socialist. Um, it means that they have a future with it and they're not necessarily opposed to it until they have the right rules and restrictions in place. Um, and the People's Court in Shenzhen actually recently as well declared that Ethereum was considered legal property. So this isn't just Bitcoin, but I mean, they're starting to branch out and look at different cryptos and label them in a lot of ways like the U.S. has and some other countries have. Um, but for China to do this, especially with how strict and shut off they've been to the whole crypto um, frenzy, to the whole blockchain industry in general, this is a very good sign. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this as they start developing um, more use cases. And speaking of use cases, one of the biggest ones with China is the um, so-called digital yuan or the DCEP, Digital Currency Electronic Payment, um, that the People's Bank of China has been piloting for a while. They've been pilot piloting this with um, U.S. companies, namely, too, Starbucks, McDonald's, Subway. Um, so they're taking this very, very seriously. And a lot of people think that they might actually roll this out this year. Um, so if a major first world economy like China were to roll out a national sovereign digital currency, um, it would be one of the biggest financial events in human history, to be honest, next to Bitcoin. It'd be the first time that we've transitioned from one form of money to another. And you don't see that very often, especially with all the hype in crypto and with the world being in a digital state right now. And, you know, China's market is already cashless in many respects. Like th they mostly use Alipay and WeChat Pay. They don't use cash anymore. Um, it was, like back in 2013, I remember when I went up to Vancouver, BC for a conference, they have tons of... Uh, Asian tourists to come through there, um, property owners that are Asian, a lot of them that are Chinese. And when you go up to Vancouver, BC, you'll realize that there's tons of options uh, to pay with WeChat or Alipay instead of cash. Um, and that's because, you know, Chinese citizens, uh, Asians, um, they that's how they function. They, they run off these apps. They don't use cash anymore. Everything's done off their phone. Everything's mobile for them. And I remember back in like 2016 when I was there, I was at a restaurant and they were asking if we had a chip reader in our card. And I didn't know what a chip reader was. So that was when chip readers for credit cards and debit cards were fairly brand new. But I mean, they had it 
couple years ahead of uh, the US because it was available in Asia and in China. That technology was being utilized far <laughs> before the US was utilizing it. And now it's at a point where, yeah, we use you know, the chip system in our debit cards and credit cards every day in the US and you know, in other places in the world, but China's beyond that point. They just use their mobile phones. They have apps that go directly through these tech companies. And you know that's starting to appear now in the US and becoming more mainstream with Apple Pay and Samsung Pay. Um, using the cash app. Um, there's a lot more options to go, you know, through these tech companies and software companies than directly through the bank anymore. So you can operate pretty well in the U S economy with just your smartphone. You don't necessarily need your wallets. All you need is a digital wallet. Um, you know, and then what's the next step? You know, China's pushing this next step. Shenzhen's pushing the advancement on this next step, which is going to be a digital currency. And it'll work through your phone, through the through the People's Bank of China, um, likely through Tencent or Alibaba's uh, WeChat Pay, Alipay, respectively. And, you know, that's going to funnel back to the U.S. too. You know, China's been ahead of the innovation cycle, especially with money for quite a while. So I wouldn't expect that to stop anytime soon. And it'll be a huge, major world event in the financial system when that does happen, when we do have this digital one or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, the other thing that's really interesting about what's happening in China is from the mining perspective, um, not too recently, a new mining pool popped up called Lubian, Lubian mining pool that claims 5.15% of the total Bitcoin hash rate in the world. And a lot of people aren't sure like where this pool came from, but they're speculating that this may have been a private pool in China that has recently gone public because now it is public. Um, and having six or being number six in the world as a mining pool for Bitcoin, having about five, a little over 5% of the entire market for the Bitcoin hash rate, that's a big jump for a new pool. So it's not a new pool. This pool has been around for a while. So, I mean, there's only one or two possibilities. There's a private pool and there's been mining, huge, huge mining being done in China, which I'm sure is the case because, I mean, I've been aware of that for a while. And this pool has just flown under the radar because it wasn't public previously. Or it's a, it's a pool that's been funded by large corporations or government that has had the resources to come online to mine Bitcoin, which I don't really think is the case. I think it was a private pool recently, but it's interesting to see that is coming out of China. Again, another thing coming out of China in terms of positive news or a positive event for Bitcoin. Um, it's just it's just weird that it kind of appeared out of nowhere. Um, and, but this also tells you that there's probably a ton, a ton of undisclosed mining for Bitcoin, um, more than we originally thought. So, I mean, if a pool can have that much of the hash rate, there, and there are a lot of miners going to that mining pool. And that mining pool likely was private in China, which means that China has a massive mining community, underground mining community, per se. Um, that is, you know, good news for Bitcoin. I mean, that, you know, even in a society that's been very, very restrictive of crypto and of Bitcoin and, you know, just blockchain as a technology in general, if that is going on and they have that much pull and that much support for Bitcoin, you know, imagine how that's going to grow in other places since China seems to be 
years ahead of us on just about everything technologically. Um, you know, all of that together with what China is doing, I think China is going to be a huge major player for crypto in the world. I think a lot of different technologies and use cases for blockchain are going to come out of China. I know a lot of that development is happening in other countries, including in Europe, uh, especially in the U.S. and other parts of Asia, like South Korea, Japan, smaller countries like Cambodia, out, out in Indonesia, emerging economies, include India, places in Africa, um, in Latin America, a lot of places where development innovation is happening and pushing blockchain. Um, but I think some of the biggest use cases are going to come out of China simply because they have the control and the authority to do that. And just because they seem to be far ahead. I mean, these Shenzhen and all the tech, tech companies that come out of there, they're always far ahead of what some of the U.S. companies are doing. If they're not ripping off a U.S. company, they're definitely pushing the envelope. So the technology that you know we hold back from using so much in the U.S., they implement. You know, we don't have um, a um, a soft drink um, dispensing machine that you know scans your face and decides whether or not you're worthy of a drink, whether um, we want that or not. But that is that exists in China. Like if you go to a vending machine, um, you know they'll use your social credit score to determine like what kind of discount you get, or if you get something this day, or or blah blah blah, or like. So, I mean, they have a completely different system, but technology is there. It'd be interesting to see if we could have that technology, you know, transition more to the U.S. That'd be nice, or to other countries. But I'm, I'm going off tangent here a little bit. But, I mean, my point is that, you know, China's far ahead of us technologically in so many ways because they actually push the envelope and they put this technology out there and they're creating use cases by implementing it. Um, even if you don't like the fact that it's implemented for socialist reasons, it's being implemented. Um, you know, and another thing that, you know, we just had happen recently was the Bitcoin halving. Um, came a little earlier than I thought, but I mean, that's fine. That's a good sign. Um, you know, we saw this huge run up for the most part with Bitcoin up to the halving. And then once we got close to the halving and the halving happened, we saw this pullback in crypto and blockchain, or Bitcoin, excuse me. Um, but that was expected. I mean, if you see the market run up like that, especially after being at a low point um, because of the, the pandemic, you know, coming back up over the last month and a half, two months, um, that was quite a rally. Um, and it was it pushed all the way to almost 10,000, hit like 9,900. Um, you know, it hit that resistance barrier and then it fell back down. That's natural. That's what happens in these markets. Um, it, it threw up a little bit. It vomited because it moved too quickly. Um, you know, we're seeing $1,000 swings in a single day. Last time we really saw that stuff was you know, pre-bull run in uh, 2017. Um, you know, in parts of 2016, where Bitcoin really broke into the $1,000 range and started pushing higher. So I really think that once Bitcoin, which is back up now to about 9000 8900 sitting at a stable number, it's going to retest that mark pretty soon. If Bitcoin is able to break through 10,000, we'll likely swing up to 14,000. Historically, in the last few years, that's been a very tough barrier to break for Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin can break 14,000, then I think the bulls are in. I think people are going to rush in like crazy. I think it's going to swing way higher than 14,000 from there. Probably up to 20,000. 
it breaks 20,000, it'll run up, um, hell, it could run up $10,000 in a day. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and with the new, I expect a new race in mining to be here pretty soon. There are a lot of new machines with uh, What's Miner, with Bitmain. They're going to compete really heavily. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that soon at some point as some of those uh, ASICs come onto the market because with the Bitcoin halving, the rewards were cut in half. Um, you're seeing roughly 50% drops in profitability for miners, for ASICs. And that that side of the market has to compete, uh, has to you know be profitable, at least to a degree, for you know these machines to stay online. And we need more miners. We need miners to be online. So you're going to see an increase in the hash rate dramatically to keep up with um, profitability to stay alive. And if you're a small miner, small mining farm, you have a couple miners, you have 10 miners, 15 miners, you're not going to be very profitable with what you got. But if you have hundreds or thousands of these rigs, and trust me, I've, I've done this before at scale, I can tell you if you're a small miner, you're not going to do very well. Um, but if you're a very large miner, and then you've probably ROI'd already, you're probably just looking to, you know, upgrade your equipment. You'll probably do just fine in terms of profitability once these new machines come out. It's just an adjustment phase, and they're getting better and better every year. They're starting to have higher and higher hash rate um, in terms of the what they can produce and the profitability for the machines, and the wattage is coming down dramatically. So um, it's not just Bitcoin that's you know advancing forward in the but I mean, the hash rate uh, mining rate is going up for these machines too. They're improving year after year to stay competitive and that'll keep happening um, until we have a change or a breakthrough. I think one important thing to remember with Bitcoin is that it is the best performing asset over the last 12 years, to be honest. I mean, can you name another asset that has performed better in the last 12 years than Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin went from pennies from inception to $20,000 and now sitting about 9,000 and is ready to push and who knows how high it could go. Uh, no assets performed better than Bitcoin in 12 years. Um, and that gets into a really interesting conversation on whether or not Bitcoin is a store value. Um, before I even talk about that though, um, we, we should note that Bitcoin is an asset at this point. Um, you know, Bitcoin being seen by major institutions, by banks, by tech companies, um, by hedge funds, you know, and providing options, futures options, eventually we'll see some kind of um, ETF for Bitcoin uh, in the future. You'll see more financial products for Bitcoin to allow you to get in with different on-ramps, different off-ramps to create um, liquid markets for Bitcoin. It's it's very integrated in society in terms of that aspect, you know, and it's for that reason, it is definitely an asset. You cannot say Bitcoin is not an asset at this point. No, if you have these options available to you, if major institutions, well-known institutions are giving you these financial products to get in and out of Bitcoin, then Bitcoin's clearly an asset. Bitcoin has moved beyond the stage of just being um, a digital form of money. It is a digital form of money. That's its whole 
use. But it's also being seen as an asset, treated as an asset, and it should be because it's very flexible. I think what's really interesting is whether or not it'll be a store of value. That's the real debate. Um, you know, and being a store of value takes time. Like gold is a store of value because it has been around and used for 5,000 plus years. The Egyptians, their whole civilization was economically sound because they use gold as a medium of exchange for money. Um, you know, gold has proven its use as a store of value for a very long time. But I mean, as an asset, it's not the best performing asset in the short term. It's a good performing asset over the long term. That's what gives it its store of value. Bitcoin has only been around for about 12 years. So we can only look at how it's performed in that short you know, time span uh, of just over a decade. Compare that to Bitcoin and it's not close as a store of value. But you know, can Bitcoin become a store of value? Yeah, it can. Um, the thing is, we saw Bitcoin appear as a solution out of the recession in 2008-ish, 2009-ish. And we didn't see how it reacted during a recession. We haven't seen Bitcoin react during a depression. Now, we've seen Bitcoin react during turmoil, political turmoil, economic turmoil, biological turmoil, look at COVID and the pandemic. I think that's one of the best ways to look at Bitcoin and ask yourself, is it potentially a store of value? Um, well, let's let's take a look at it. Everyone went for a cash grab. People got scared. They sold out. Um, many investors went to the dollar because they wanted to protect their wealth. Um, not that I think that the dollar is a store of value, but that's what they did. They sold out of everything from gold to Bitcoin, to stocks and equities, blah, blah, blah. Um, whole market tanked. Now, what what's recovering in in the wake of that? You know, oil is doing not not very well. Um, major fiat currencies aren't doing very well. The U.S. dollar is inflating. Um, trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy at practically zero percent interest rates. Um, what has performed well? Gold's doing well, almost in parity in some ways to Bitcoin doing well. Um, the whole crypto market's feeding off of Bitcoin. And, you know, there's, there's other things like uranium and other commodities that are faring pretty well that have a lot of potential value and use cases and like uranium could supplant oil. So um, there's a lot of different opportunities to invest as well. Um, but in terms of a store value, this is um, a very interesting point in time, especially in 2020, where <laughs> Bitcoin is being tested during a crisis situation economically. Um, with the pandemic, um, and is performing well in parity to Bitcoin. Uh, sorry, in, in parity to gold and precious metals. So that gives another, you know, look into Bitcoin as a potential store of value in the future and where it could go. And you know, if we look at this like on a scale uh, of like who sees Bitcoin as a store of value um, or as having store of value versus who doesn't on one end you got guys like peter Thiel, elon musk jack dorsey jack ma um paul tudor jones novigratz um you know that are big proponents of crypto blockchain and that do see bitcoin as an asset and you know potential store of value um those are very smart guys they're doing great things um very wealthy very well-known investors um 
that have that opinion of Bitcoin. And that's important. And a lot of those guys are, you know, on in the tech side of business. And, you know, the tech side is in heavy competition with the banking sector. And, you know, big banks are in some ways losing to big tech right now. And I think we're starting to see a shift in this digital age where, you know, banking's going to disappear and tech's going to rise. So I'm not too surprised to see some of those guys as big proponents of crypto or Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, they're doing well and maybe they do have their opinions more valid than the aging banker and the banking system itself. You know, and then from that side towards the middle, you have guys like Mark Cuban or Doug Casey or Kiyosaki or Mark Zuckerberg, who, um, you know, are interesting, um, have an interesting opinion that like Bitcoin in a lot of ways that think it could be a store value that definitely think that it does have value as an asset has a use case, um, you know, that are not, you know, pushing back against the narrative, but that are not feeding it either. But looking at Bitcoin as something that, you know, could eventually have this store value. And then you have guys on the other side that are, you know, gold bugs that are aging, uh, that are, you know, boomers or older <laughs> that are really not open to, uh, to change right now. Uh, guys like Peter Schiff, Jim Rickards, Trump, who I all respect and think are awesome and, you know, that are fantastic in their arena of business or investing or finance or whatever it may be, but they don't see Bitcoin as a store of value, let alone as an asset, especially when you compare it to gold. Um, and, you know, I think some of these guys will change their opinion over time because, you know, for Bitcoin to really become a store of value, it really needs to be older. It needs to age well. Um, and I think as that happens, I think that their opinions will change. I mean, if they live long enough to see that become reality. Um, but I mean, there's a generational thing too. Like if you're older and you grow up, um, you know, with, uh, the banking system and the gold being a store of value. Um, you know, you're not necessarily open to change in mindset in terms of what um, represents a store of value. So you're not necessarily going to be um, very quick to give Bitcoin that credibility. Whereas if you're like a millennial, you're weighing these options where you're like, okay, well, gold to me is a store of value because that's what my parents taught me. But now I have this Bitcoin thing and, you know, it, it could be a store of value. I definitely see it as an asset. You know, and they're going to pass that on to their children and their kids who don't really know a world without Bitcoin. You know, grew up with Bitcoin, grew up heavily inundated with technology, a smartphone or an iPad in their face at all times. Um, they're going to be very favorable to Bitcoin because they're going to see more use out of Bitcoin than they will out of gold. They'll see gold as a dying relic. They'll see Bitcoin as a store of value for a new age in which you can't take gold into a video game. You can't take gold into virtual reality. And how much of that is going to compromise, uh, comprise, not compromise, comprise reality? You know, what's reality going to look like? You know, what's going to facilitate our needs in the next five years, next decade, next two decades? Gold's going to have a very hard time doing that. You know, Bitcoin is built to be money subjectively and intrinsically, and it will fit that need. So, you know, over time, gold might die down as a store of value. Will it disappear? Probably not. But um, there's a huge, huge potential for Bitcoin to 
be this digital form of gold um, in many respects. So I don't, I don't see that stopping, but yeah, definitely going off on a tangent here today. <laughs> um, let's, I want to talk about the economy just for a second and then I'll wrap things up. Um, so Paul Tudor Jones, he announced that he was going to buy Bitcoin to hedge against inflation from central banks printing money due to COVID and the lockdown. He's a very well-known guy, um, very smart guy, smart investor. And for him, of all people, to say that he's going to buy some Bitcoins to hedge against these legacy systems, these legacy financial systems, the government, the whole COVID lockdown and quarantine. I think that's very telling that Bitcoin can be a store value and that Bitcoin can be a good hedge against catastrophe. And I think a lot of people are following in his footsteps and will continue to. I think that's very, very good news for Bitcoin, especially as more institutions and investors look for other alternative investments other than equities. You know, other than holding dollars, other than oil and things that are collapsing right now and having a really hard time holding value. Um, you know, investors initially during the pandemic, they rushed to the dollar as a store of value. Um, and now that the Fed is injecting trillions of dollars, what will people do? People are already in dollars, heavily in dollars. You know, they're not going to go back to equities very quickly. That market's being beaten down and is um, could eventually go far, far lower um, if we enter into a, a global depression. I think we're kind of already entering a recession. I don't think it's going to get better with all the money printing and zero, practically zero interest rates, zero percent interest rates. Um, that's the question. What are people going to do next? I think a lot of people are going to have to consider the alternatives, and Bitcoin is one of those alternatives. Um, you know, and what is the rest of the world going to do? They have to print more to compete with a cheaper U.S. dollar, you know, or they risk erosion of purchasing power in global trade. If we're printing trillions of dollars, the, the U.S. dollar is getting cheaper and cheaper, and it's easier to do global trade and business with the U.S. than it is with another country. You know, that hurts a country's GDP and exports. Um, so, you know, they got to compete and print as well. And that's not a good scenario. I mean, scenario one is everyone's printing money like crazy constantly over the course of 2020. That's that's going to be very, very bad for global economies. And that will probably destroy fiat. You know, look long term. I don't think you can really name one fiat currency that has ever lasted and is it, that hasn't died off eventually. And I think we're starting to see fiat currencies in general, the entire concept begin to die off thanks to Bitcoin. Um, thanks to this digital age we're in. So I think we're getting to a precipice here where um, we're getting very close to fiat disappearing, whether it happens in catastrophe or whether it happens in a transition, it's going to happen and it's starting to happen. Um, looking more broadly at the market, um, oil has been beaten down badly, entering negative territory, I think for the first time in history. And, you know, doing something unprecedented that will cripple these oil markets and force change. Um, OPEC is very manipulative of the oil market. Um, currencies are heavily affected by this. Um, a lot of fiat has struggled. I know the Colombian peso has struggled dramatically uh, with the oil markets collapsing, prices of oil, overproduction, um, you know, by the Saudis, by the by OPEC. 
um, you know, versus the U.S. dollar. Um, it can't compete. A lot of other currencies just can't compete with the dollar and with what's happening with oil. So oil's gone to shit. Fiat's going to shit. <laughs> uh, the dollar itself, you know, while it might be strong at the moment, it's being further inflated, cheapened, trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy, printed out of thin air. We're going to have more and more debt with practically 0% interest rates and all these small business borrowing programs that are being pushed out. I don't think that the dollar is going to last much longer. I don't think the future is bright for the dollar. And I think people, smart people are looking to get out of the dollar. So dollar is going to shit. <laughs> um, and from a more positive perspective, gold has recovered from the pandemic and is moving upwards pretty strongly. Bitcoin has recovered and is actually maturing. Um, where Bitcoin price lands from here, I don't know, but it's doing much, much better. And so I think gold and Bitcoin have this weird parity right now where they're going to both be seen as a store of value because of the crisis. Um, and I think they will move up very well in tandem with each other. So that'll be interesting to watch. I think uranium is doing well right now. It's a great alternative and substitute for oil. Um, it's clean. Um, prospects for it are growing. More uranium plants are coming online, especially in the next half decade. I think it's going to be very important. And with the sentiment, negative sentiment fading from what happened in, um, I can't remember the name, what happened in, in Japan, uh, forgive me, <laughs> but I think some of the negative sentiment around uranium, uranium and the meltdowns and whatnot are fading dramatically because, you know, this is something we need. We need clean energy. We need to substitute for oil. We need something that, you know, is more reliable. And I think uranium is reliable and I think it has a bright future still, especially with the high energy de uh, demand and needs that, that we have as a species. So uranium, I'm definitely bullish on. It's doing well. Commodities. Um, you know, with a bottleneck on the supply chain right now, I think commodities will increase in value because I think there'll be a shortage in some things um, or it'll take time to restock stores. So depending on where you are, I mean, if you're in Colombia, um, buy some marijuana. <laughs> It'll be a good store of value um, because it's in high demand and the supply chain is slow. If you're in <laughs> um, the U.S., um, buy um, buy goods that are important to people, buy tech technology, um, buy headsets, you know, buy gaming platforms, you know, think uniquely, don't just buy commodities, uh, that might be, um, let's say food, um, or, or water or bags of rice. Yeah. Those are good things to buy too for yourself. But you know, in terms of what people need in a digital age, that's what you should buy too. You know, people need entertainment, so buy entertainment. People need, um, you know, people need their cell phones fixed. You know, buy things that will allow you to fix a cell phone. You think creatively. What do people need? What's a commodity in the digital age? That's something you should invest in. Um, you know, you can start a business around too. I think there's a lot of value there. Um, anyways. I'm going to kind of wrap it up on that note um, and not go off too much more on a tangent. But I mean, the primary focus of um, this live in which will be uh, a podcast is China. 
China is moving ahead with this technology and President Xi announced not that long ago, back in 2019, that he wanted China to be a leader for blockchain technology, to lead in this technology. And I think if the US and other first world countries don't take it very seriously, they will be overtaken. And I think it will boost their economy and their prospects. Um, and while they might be a little slow to get it to market and to really adopt it and make it fully usable in China, like any other first world country, um, you know, they're going to do it. In my opinion, China's going to do this before anyone else, simply because they are socialist. Um, you know, they can force the implementation of this stuff. Chinese courts are ruling in favor of this stuff. Pilot programs are happening with their banks, um, with the People's Bank of China. They're expecting to roll this stuff out. I, I expect China to be a global leader in blockchain technology, and um, I think it'll be very good for Bitcoin. It's, it's a weird way for it to be good for Bitcoin, but for that big of an economy to be that involved um, in, in digital assets, digital currencies, um, pushing the digital age, I think it will be incredibly beneficial. So I think Bitcoin will feed off of this the rest of 2020, um, among other things. And I think it's something to keep an eye on. Again, uh, guys, thank you for watching my live. If, it, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, if you listen to this on podcast, thank you for listening on the podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and I will be doing more of these lives often. And I believe next week I'll have another guest and try to get back in the routine of having some more guests. Again, it's just a scheduling issue. Got to get all that worked out, working on it slowly. Thank you guys for your patience and have a lovely day in quarantine.